Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Is that good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQs just drop shot? I could have been. I have planned. I like this All shit. It is a lost will. You know it's Dance off, bro. It is your Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And this is episode five, where we're going to be discussing Captain America Civil War. And you know what I did this week, Lee? I'm going to guess it was something not to do with robots. Exactly. I did not watch Mr. Robot again. Oh, dude, the world will continue to be perplexed by your hate for this show. I don't hate it now. It's just a running gag with me because I have no intention of watching it. Like I said, I got through the first four shows. I keep advertising for it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe my hate will be fueling someone's love. You know how a relationship works sometimes? Yeah, I think deep down someday you'll admit to yourself you were wrong and then you'll go back. You'll have a sweet little spot for Mr. Robot. You know, and I'm looking forward to that day, but for now, nope. Well, another week went by, and I watched another week of the Great British Vehicle. Actually, we're we're two weeks later than our last episode, because we've caught up on ourselves. So uh, I'm actually two episodes in. Uh, two cakes and breads and stuff. There's nothing interesting to say here. I'm just keeping this going. <laughs> <laughs> but what is, it, what, is it, what is it that you find attractive in watching people make cake? Um... I don't find the making of it attractive at all. In fact, it's incredibly stressful. Uh, I find <laughs> I, I I find the results nice. Okay. And I find the sort of the judges are funny, and I find the overall tone of the show very relaxing. So on a on a night after work, I'll have a drink. I'll sit in the living room with uh, my fiance, and we'll just watch people bake shit for a while, and it's it's super chill. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. What trailers have you seen, Jason? I saw two trailers this week, and I'll start with the one that most people would think that I would hate, but I actually enjoyed. I saw the new trailer for Underworld Blood Wars. <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I... Under, I'll be honest. I'll come flat out and say it. I've, I'm a fan of Underworld. It's, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I know that there's stupid movies. I know that I'm being judged right now. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter. You guys have some dirty laundry someplace lying around as well. <laughs> Did the trailer really sell you? I didn't care. I was just, there was noises. There were werewolves at one point. Kate Beckinsale's back in black, which is fantastic. And uh, yeah, so it's the story looks pretty simplistic. You know, Selena uh, apparently is going to one be the one that brings balance to whatever the hell blood or <laughs> to the vampire community. You, you, you have to tell me. I have no basis in this fucking universe at all. <laughs> oh, well, whatever. I like the first one. The first Underworld was fun. It looked like, you know, the Matrix with vampires and werewolves. And then after that, like everyone hated Underworld Evolution, the, the second one. I thought it was fun. Michael Sheen was in it. He was pretty cool. And so yeah, we all start <laughs> he somewhere. He was also in Twilight. Yeah, you're right. Shit, I had forgotten that. In the first one? Uh, no, from the second one to the end. Oh, there you go. That's why I didn't see him in Twilight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
he really he really committed himself to that to that franchise it's it's insane yeah anyway so that's it i'm looking forward to underworld blood wars i couldn't care less about the story it's going to be a spectacle everything is going to have this light blue tint everything is shining in the moonlight end of the world slash early 2000s yeah that's you know moving on from underworld to blood wars we're just going to flat out wars with hacksaw ridge and hacksaw ridge is um by someone uh it was directed by someone that lee and i have decided not to called by his real name because we don't want to upset anybody so his name is Jell Mibson the posters don't tell us who it is so we can only assume director of Braveheart and uh, Passion of the Christ Jell Mibson (laughs) so Jell Mibson is going to be the guy we're going to be referring to in order to censor ourselves without necessarily having to censor ourselves so if you're out there Jell Mibson we got you back oh yeah and so (laughs) yeah so Hacksaw Ridge directed by Jell Mibson uh, stars Andrew Garfield as a guy uh, who's apparently a hero. I'd never heard of this man mm-hmm. uh, who apparently went to war, saved over 50 or 60 people, and he didn't carry a gun at all. He was just wanted to be a doctor, and there was something honorable about that. But apparently, well, from the trailer, he, he seems to get his ass kicked quite a bit, but oh. there's um, a certain amount of honor that comes out of this because they gain the respect because he ends up saving uh well a shitload of people i mean mm. so i don't know you know what uh the story itself looks okay but uh from what i could see uh jill mibson back behind the camera looks fantastic the yeah. images are stellar and it's something we've grown accustomed to from this very 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 talented director yeah so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it like i said i mean andrew garfield looks like he's going to be setting himself up for an oscar nomination and i think it's deserved he looks great so far in the part and i was like all right fine i'm on board i want to see this movie um i won't give it like the stellar reviews that we've been hearing from uh, yeah, other people hype has been i think incredible uh, which is always yeah. a wary wary sign to make <laughs> yeah I, i'm just looking forward to seeing a really good movie and from what i've seen in terms of the cinematography and um i think that it's about time we get some of this guy's work again so yeah. i'm looking forward to seeing it uh i personally missed this person over the last 10 years and uh, no matter how much trouble he's had on the outside i am always been very supportive of his career his yep. life choices are his goddamn business. But on the other side, like I said, Joe Mibson, I've got you back. Looking forward to seeing The Blood Father. And I'm looking forward to seeing his new project, Hacksaw Ridge. It's uh, it's, it's surprising how far a Joe uh, Mibson can go uh, as an apologist by stop making crap, <laughs> start making good shit again. So yeah. suddenly people are willing to give him the time of day again if he just sits down and stops making shit. So... There you go. Welcome back to the fold, Jill. It's great. It's great to see you yes. back back at work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good stuff. What did you see this week, sir, in terms of trailers? I've seen a similar um two I would call two similar Oscar Beatty films. <laughs> all right, all right. The first, A United Kingdom. Oh, they both begin with A, by the way. Uh, a space something. A United Kingdom. Uh, is a Oscar Beatty film starring uh, David Yulelo Yulelo and Rosamund Pike. You know her name's easier to say. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, and it seems to be, it's, I'm not really sure on the particulars, but it's about uh, somebody who's like the, the, the prince of a country who's starting to take over the throne, and he's married this girl who comes from uh, somewhere else. Uh, and they're getting a lot of backlash for their sort of decisions in marrying each other. As it's kind of like one of those yield royalty purification political issue films. It looks very, very Oscar baby. <laughs> um, can't say I was particularly sold on it. Uh, obviously, as you could tell from my stellar retelling of the trailer, nothing really stuck. But I'm, you know, I'm hoping to be surprised by it. I, I, I always give things a fair shake. You know, trailer doesn't always sell what can be a gripping film in the moment. Uh, so if the beats are there and it tells a good story and I find something like a nugget of interest in it, then I'll happily promote this when it comes my way. But uh, until then, uh, shrug, see it when I see it. <laughs> All right. The other, uh, the other Oscar bait film is a dog's purpose. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, is that the one that looks like Old Yeller? It kinda. It's. I just meant the poster. I mean, it looks like a golden lab. Oh, it might be in one scene. So the concept is Josh Gad plays the voice of a dog who grows up with his kid, and then that dog dies. But through reincarnation, this dog transfers his mind into other dogs, or sort of becomes another dog. And somehow sticks around all these people's lives, and eventually comes back to his owner, who has grown up to be Dennis Quaid, and uh, <laughs> and I don't know, heartfelt messages ensue. Uh, it looked terrible. It looked really, really bad. And uh, oh Christ, soppy. you know what this sounds like? Yo, what? This sounds like like the Denzel Washington movie called Fallen with John Goodman, where there's this demon called Azazel that keeps going on, moving from person to person. Uh, Only they've made a friendly version of this demon, but put it in a dog. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what they were going for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to go watch Azazel the dog. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Christ. so uh, I would say this this looks like a straight-to-DVD Disney movie that is somehow getting some sort of budget behind it. Some sort of... It's coming out, like... in it, It's got, the, like, the, the saturated tones of a uh, of an Oscar-baity film, which really? blows my mind. Okay. Yeah, the way they've, they've shot the trailer makes it look like they're really taking it seriously. And you're kind of like, this is a dog film. Dog films come out every year. Yeah. I wonder, you know, when's the final time he's going to die so that, you know, he's finally done his job. It's like Groundhog Day with dogs, you know, he finally, he gets it right and he fucks off. <laughs> the, uh, I might have missed the point of Groundhog Day. Anyway. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that's, those are the trailers I've seen. It's, it's been a stellar week. <laughs> Yeah, especially for that one, A Dog's Purpose. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. I think I might actually just include the trailer for that one. Do it. Yeah, you need to. You need to hear that, like, sad, like, sad, poetic music. You know, really it's a, gets it's you a, pumped. It's a toss-up between A Dog's Purpose and Underworld Blood Wars. I think we all need to hear Underworld. Uh, I think it's I might, important. I might play them back-to-back. <laughs> be like, what the, what the fuck jarring, is up with these guys this week? Jarring as fuck. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I could make, like, a fan edit, putting them together yeah, as, like, yeah. a dog's purpose in a She's vampire like, wow, world. I need to really sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Kill her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Selena will bring balance to the blood. Oh! And Dennis Quaid will finally learn the meaning of love. All right, so we'll be back after this short break. What are you hoping to hear? Huh? A dog's <laughs> yeah, purpose or wrong. underworld? We'll see. 
What is the meaning of life? Are we here for a reason? Is there a point to any of this? And why does food taste so much better in the trash? This was me, and then this was me. Then I came back as this little guy. A lot of lives for one dog to live, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning. I'm a new soul. For me, it all began with a boy. His name was Ethan. Bailey, 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 Bailey. My name was Bailey, 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 Bailey. No! Come on, Bailey, do it. What does he want from me? Get it out, get out. Whenever life got Ethan down, I knew exactly what to do. Ready? I'm ready. Go, Bailey! We played with that ball all afternoon. Ethan loved it. Sometimes he just needed a little nudge. Oh, whoa! Sorry, that was the dog, that wasn't me. <laughs> Maybe you should teach your dog some manners. We spent every day together. Were they fighting over food? No, nothing in there. As the years went by, I could tell my time with Ethan was coming to an end. Good boy, Bailey. I miss you. And then, it happened. I was back. I didn't have a... I'm a girl? Good girl, good girl. I had a new purpose. I was needed again. And again. And again. Hi, you! With each new life, I was learning a new lesson. Hey, God. <laughs> hmm. Have we met before? Where did you find that? Okay, ready? Go! I tried to make sense out of all the things I'd seen. Was there a point to this journey of mine? And how did bacon fit in? If I can get you licking and loving, I have my purpose. Ethan, why do you always have this dog with you? It's like a girlfriend replacement or something? <laughs> the dog's laughing at you. Dogs don't laugh. <laughs> That's funny. And welcome back. So we're on to our segment about what we watched this week. And this week, we're going to turn to Jason. You tell me what, what you see. <laughs> I saw two, three, three movies this week. And uh, I'll start by saying that I watched um, Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping, mm. the Andy Samberg and the Lowly Island vehicle. Yeah. You know what? I had a really fun time watching it. It's about a guy called Connor, uh, whose solo album is kind of failing on the music charts. And he finds himself in need of his friends that he's neglected for years. It's kind of interesting. It's a mockumentary about pop star life. Uh, they take jabs at like everyone from Britney Spears to Justin Bieber to Mariah Carey. To, yeah, you know everyone. Everyone's getting a, a handful of, of, of shit just slapped across their face. <laughs> and um, I caught myself really enjoying the film. Uh, it, if if I could put it very very simply, it feels like this generation's Spinal Tap. Yeah, that is simple. <laughs> it's very simple. I mean that this this guy is clearly not, you know, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, but anyway, I mean the performances are fun. I mean, I, I like Andy Samberg. Uh, I think he's a fun, witty guy. I uh, I like him on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I enjoyed the the other mockumentary he put out called Seven Days in Hell where he plays tennis against Kit Harrington. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> never heard of it. Um, and so, yeah, so that pop star, never stop, never stopping. 
lasts an hour and a half. You guys are going to have a fun time. It's really stupid, but at the same time, it's a fun stupid. It's the kind of stupid I can get behind. Yeah, cool. It only just came out in cinemas, I think, over here in the last week or two. So yeah, oh, okay. if, if I've got time, you know, if there's nothing oh, on, I'd go see no, it. No, 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 no. Rent it. Rent it. Wait for it to come on home video. It's a Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait for the tombstone to show up on Netflix. Let's see. What else did I watch? I watched a... Uh, oh, I... A uh, kung fu movie. I watched Ip Man 3. Uh, so Ip Man. I-P-M-A-N. So that people can understand what I'm saying. And yeah, this is the third movie uh, starring Donnie Yen. Mike Tyson happened to be in this one. So I was like, ah, oh, two guys I enjoy. So I'm going to sit down and watch this. And uh, it's really not that complicated of a movie. I don't tend to watch these for the story. Mm. Although this one... You know, there's a bunch of gangsters that are screwing up a part of a neighborhood that happens to be near Ip Man and no one's doing anything about it. They feel kind of intimidated or bullied or whatever. And so Ip Man decides to take a stand. And then there's a lots of kicking and breaking of things. <laughs> all the good parts punching. start happening. <laughs> exactly. All the good parts start happening. And it ends up, uh, you know, uh, Ip Man fights Mike Tyson. And there are funny, clever moments in it. But, you know, I, like I said, I don't watch these for the stories. I watch these for the action involved. Yeah. And if you're looking for a fun action kung fu movie, Ip Man 3 is, is, is a fun ride. It's nothing more than a fun ride. I like my, I like my straightforward action fills. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, my, uh, and my last one, I watched a documentary uh, on Netflix called Holy Hell. And it's a documentary about a cult in the U.S., uh, like in West Hollywood during the 80s, hmm. led by this weird guru called uh, Michel. He's like a Speedo-wearing strange guy. It's directed course. by a guy <laughs> called Will Allen, uh, who happens to be an, an ex-member of this cult. They don't want us to call it a cult, but you know what? A cult's a cult. Yeah. And when you see a cult, <laughs> you can, yeah, it's a cult. I feel... Uh, I like watching... Careful now. <laughs> I'm going to be very careful. I'll, actually, you know what? No, I won't, I won't be careful at all. I, I like watching I like documentaries cults. like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I'm curious because all these these cult things revolve around like this one question is like, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? Of course. And if I can allow myself to just speak freely for a minute, there is no meaning to life. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> oh, these poor listeners. They just came to hear some fucking movie talk and now they're being told life doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's all, that's why I like watching these cult movies because I, I always feel like the more of these movies that I'll watch – the more I'm going to understand yeah. a little bit more of the psychology involved in people who get into these things. Because I don't get it. I don't get like the, the like this people being drawn to these these figures, you know? Mm. It's a very interesting look at this cult that I had no idea existed and I was really invested in this documentary. Yeah. It was well done. It was really good. Uh, I'm a very curious person. I like under trying to understand what what pushes people to be drawn to these types of things. And Holy Hell didn't really give me any answers, but it was a damn good time watching yeah. the movie. So I recommend it. Holy Hell on Netflix. 
my girlfriend got uncomfortable. She stopped watching it. She was like, I can't, I can't watch this. I can't watch this because it's just too strange. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so anyway, if you're looking for an interesting documentary on cult life, uh, holy hell on Netflix, it's worth your time. Uh, you won't regret it. Okay, cool. I Yep, documentaries, tick, cults. I, I've seen, Did you ever see that one? Uh, I think it came out last year. Uh, was it Going Clear or Staying Clear? Yeah, man. Uh, about yeah, yeah, Scientology. Yeah. Yep. Same thing fascinates me. No good answers, but it's a great insight into how people get lured into these things and what they do to convince themselves that this is important to them. And you kind of get it from their perspective. You don't want to get it. You definitely feel sorry for them. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's always fascinating when you kind of just... How the brain works and how people in certain scenarios can be taken advantage of. And it's very sobering kind of watching this kind of stuff. And cult documentaries are a bit of a bit of an extreme way to sober up about humanity. But, yeah, it's, it's one of those... It's just one of those things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, to us, I mean, maybe not yeah, to them, yeah, exactly. obviously. The people that are going through it seem that they're going, you know, they see it very differently. Definitely. But, you know, it, it it always comes off as a little odd to me. And I mean, the one that you're talking about going clear, I mean, Alex Gibney knows how to shape a documentary. I'll give him that. Yeah. Although the one the one that he did on Steve Jobs, Man uh, and the Machine, was a little bit, you know, kind of looking for trouble. <laughs> but the one on Scientology was definitely like, wow, that one was a powerful one. Cool. So, yeah. What did you see this week, sir? I saw three films as well. Actually, I've seen more than three films, but I'm only going to talk about three films. <laughs> so, first off, I've seen uh, Fent Horizon. Uh, a film I, I, you know, you know, all of these films I had never seen before. But uh, So, I sat down and watched the Fent Horizon because I'd heard good things. I wanted to see what uh, the origin of the film version of the, the putting the pen for the paper thing to explain a wormhole uh, <laughs> technique that, you know, I'd heard, uh, I think it was Honest Trailers kind of called, it might have been Cinema Sins as well, called uh, Interstellar out for stealing it from yeah. Event Horizon. And I was like, ugh, I'm sure that's, yeah, a, I'm I, sure that's an unfair comparison. And I was totally right. That was an unfair comparison. <laughs> so it's basically the best film version of the video game Doom. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just yeah, I can they're, see they're in a space colony of some description. In this case, a spaceship, and uh, you know, somehow, one way or another, they open up a wormhole to hell, and <laughs> yeah, they have to de- exactly they have to is. deal with that. You know, most of the way they deal with that is actually, you know, Doom's mostly about you know going around and shooting the fuck out of everything. Event Horizon is mostly get us the fuck out of here, the movie. <laughs> and, I oh yeah that angle I thought was really good. It, I did find myself getting um, wanting to get these characters off this ship and being surprised when setbacks happened. It reminded me a little of Predator actually, uh, and how it just keeps t- trailing you along and along. You just think, God, let it end, let it end, but it never does. It just keeps getting yeah. worse and worse. And oh, I, yeah, it was. I, I had a great. I actually, you know, looking back on Event Horizon, I had a great time. Uh, you know, it starts out a bit poorly. I would say first 15, 20 minutes takes a lot of expositioning and terrible CGI to get past. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> once you get into the swing of the characters, uh, especially Lawrence Fishburne's character, who I really enjoyed in this, uh, I, you know, it was, it, it really picks up and you start really wanting these characters to get through this fucking hilariously awful scenario. Mm. Plus, it's a bit trippy. I mean, that's you don't see that very often either. You know, they had they go in and out of dreams and stuff. It's really weird. Oh yeah, surprisingly experimental for its time. I think, yeah, especially like you know so, Sam Neill's wife. I mean, she shows up and she's got yeah, no exactly. eyes, and you're like, what the fuck yeah, is that? It's fucked up. 
Every left corner that guy takes, he's in another world. It's fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd recommend if you've never seen it, and you can do a little bit of a spookier film, because it's a bit creepy, uh, Event Horizon is, is definitely one to sit for the first 20 minutes of and then enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I just want to warn the listeners, this movie is going to be 20 years old next year. So oh my God. go in a little bit more open-minded, please, because a lot yeah, of people are yeah. going to, like... Fucking Christ, you said the CGI was bad and people are going to be like, it was goddamn terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's old. It really is bad. It's TV show bad, you know. 90s TV show bad. The best effect in it is the same effect they use in the TV show Stargate. So, I mean... (laughs) But, you know, even, like, when when I saw it, I saw it in theaters when it came out in 1997. And I remember thinking it was the shit when it came out, right? But, I mean, like, I own it today here at home and if ever i put it on i'm like yeah no oh yeah <laughs> it looks Ooh, terrible glasses in space exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah it's good anyway uh second film i watched sicario for the oh, first time yummy 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 keep going yes. yeah yes i'm a little uh a little embarrassed that i never actually got to see scenario uh, scenario <laughs> <laughs> a little embarrassed i never got to see sicario in fact i think in our first episode i made a mistake and said, like, the last two Denis Villeneuve films I'd seen were both great. Uh, yeah. And I was re- referencing his latest films. I had not seen Sicario. I was actually referring to Prisoners and Enemy that I had both enjoyed. I had never seen Sicario, which came after those. And, uh, uh, yeah, but I finally watched it. I sat down and watched it the other day. Man, what a fucking film. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's the same feeling I get when I'm, when I watched, even this year when I watched, uh, Steven Spielberg's BFG, just when you know you're in the hands of a capable director. Right. You know, just when you know someone's about to do shit with the story they're given, but everything in this film screams at you that everything is unsettling and horrifying about what can often be quite quiet and boring scenarios. For a long portions of the film, it's not gun-toting action. You know, it's a lot no. of quiet character moments, a lot of in, in, internal, uh, you know, conflicts, and a lot of uh, general disdain. Especially in Emily Blunt's character, she's fantastic in this film. She's just pain-stricken about the entire scenario from start to finish, just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Oh yeah, it, it, it her character's journey. It's it's almost a shame to see it take uh, at the last last twenty minutes a backseat to this kick ass action film. <laughs> Fucking uh, yeah, <laughs> what do you call it? Benicio del Toro. Ben- Benicio in. del Toro. Yeah. yeah, you know. Although that that portion is fantastic as well. Oh, I, Jesus! It's it's just it's just a great film from start to finish. It's just one of those ones I know I'm going to put on and watch over and over again. I it's fucking Roger Deacon, man. I just that guy. Isn't he fantastic? It's incredible. I oh just, my, I, yeah. What he does with cameras and, and setups and fucking imagery, I have no idea. It just blows my mind. Every film, I just know, like, I just, I, I, I had a feeling because Enemy wasn't Deacon, I, uh, I went, I, I just went into Sicario expecting this to be somebody else. And then from, like, the first shot, I was like, oh god, it is him. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just amazed that. You know, like, well, like you said, I mean, all the performances are fantastic. Emily Blunt is great. 
Benito del Toro is great. Josh Brolin is fantastic as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, and fuck. He's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's really cool because, you know, if you look at it, like, just as the, Emily's, Emily Blunt's story arc, it's a coming-of-age story, right? It's going from yeah. this innocence to this experience, you know, and you're like, what the fuck? But like you said, like, Roger Deakins, what? Jesus, man, this guy can shoot. Fuck, he can shoot. It looks yeah, great. Yeah, man. And it I'm makes, still... It makes what are somewhat, like, very niche, very purposely told, oh, scripted yeah. segments seems somewhat all-encompassing. Yeah. You know? You just felt that it was reaching for something bigger than what you were often actually looking at, you know? It's it's great. I don't know how the fuck he does it, man. <laughs> I mean, this guy, he's been nominated for 13 Oscars. He's and he never hasn't won. won. Not yeah. one. What the fuck, This man? guy has Shawshank on his resume. He has The Jesus. Man Who Wasn't There. He has Fargo. He has The Assassination of Jesse James by the uh, coward Robert Ford. Yeah. He's got No Country for Old Men. He's got Sicario. He's got Prisoners. You know, Skyfall. Is... Jesus Christ. True Grit. Believe... I'm like, what the for fuck fucking, are you guys waiting you could for? List any of these fucking films, and that is a guy. You just, you just, cinematography screams. Maybe, uh, what is it because he's English? I don't understand. I have no idea. What fucking backpedaling in the world of cinematographers is really stopping this guy from getting his fucking credit, man? It's just so odd to me that he hasn't won shit yet. Yeah. yeah it's like, at this point, I think that, you know, he must just not care anymore. I, I, he has to. He just slugs away at it without a, with nary a pip from him, so I assume... He just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> anyway, I'm hoping he's going to be nominated this year for Hail Caesar. Oh, well, I'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wouldn't it although, be the most awesome thing if ever uh, he won for that? It would be great, that? although, you know, you ever feel that sort of fatigue when you, you win for the wrong thing? <laughs> Not that Hail Caesar is in any way Are you talking wrong... about Martin Scorsese? This... <laughs> Hadn't even, hadn't, even, hadn't even connected that dot. Scorsese. Scorsese. Let's depart from this conversation. Oh, yes, we should depart from the conversation. Uh, no, right, so I'm going to pull into one more film. Uh, it's uh, It was an indie film that came out, I think, last year. It's called Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Uh, I'll keep it quiet. It's kind of short in this one. I had no expectations going into this. I just saw it. I, I wanted to watch a film with my fiance Maria. And... Uh, Sort of looked at what was on and kind of saw it there. And it was like an indie, soppy drama. And I was kind of like, you know what? I haven't seen one of these in a while. Let's, uh, I like indie films and I always feel like we should watch as many indie films as we can. So, uh, let's, let's put this one on the credit list. Uh, sit down and see it. I kind of, I go into these always expecting them to be worse than they are, especially if the premise of this one, which is, you know, it's about a guy and a guy befriending a girl who has cancer. So, and it's about, the, the from the guy's perspective, how he got uh, forced into this friendship by his, okay. like, overbearing mother, and how like, everybody ends up affecting each other's lives in certain ways. It's I, I don't want to spoil it, because I genuinely do think this was a surprisingly moving and surprisingly well-told, and surprisingly, uh, ex- I would say, experimental story at times. It uh it puts a lot of risk in characters who are just borderline unlikable, but they are likable and there is redemption in them. And the conflict that comes from it isn't as forced as you'd think it would be. And uh, my only criticism, and it's also a praise of the film, is that it does trick you and it does it on purpose 
to soften a couple of blows. Uh, it, it, it really, and it's really, it goes out of its way to trick you. And I think that's a bit shit. That's taking audience expectation and manipulating it on purpose. But then I kind of thought about how else to tell the story. And I, I couldn't realistically think of a better way to get across to people who were just not going to attach themselves to these characters if they know one of them could potentially die. They need There needs to be a risk there, you know? There needs to be the chance to fall. Even if there's no fall at all, then you need to be involved. And if you're bracing for immediate death, you'll never connect with these characters, you know? You'll, you'll protect yourself. You'll put a shield up. Film does a good job luring you out, regardless of the ending. It tricks you, even if it goes one way or another. It uh, it leads you astray a little bit, pulls you into it. And I think it was the smarter choice. And I think the film gets away with it just because it genuinely had a punch to make, you know. It, uh, it was a surprisingly strong film. Great performances. I would love to see more from these actors. And the director, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever seen any of his other work. Uh, but it's surprisingly heartfelt and it's surprisingly uh, well shot. There's a lot to like about the film, and so I, it goes with a recommendation from me. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to write that down because I had no intention of seeing it. Yeah. And you've just described something that, you know, was somewhat appealing to me anyway. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Girl and a Dying Girl going on my list. Love it. Very cool. surprised. Anyway, it is time to focus on our next segment. Yeah, it's time to see what we thought about Captain America Civil War. Were you Team Cap or were you Team Iron Man? You'll find out after these words. Buck. Do you remember me? Your mom's name was Sarah. You used to wear newspapers in your shoes. You're a wanted man. I don't do that anymore. Well, the people who think you did are coming right now. And they're not planning on taking you alive. Captain, while a great many people see you as a hero, there are some would prefer the word vigilante. You've operated with unlimited power and no supervision. That's something the world can no longer tolerate. I know how much Bucky means to you. Stay out of this one. Please, you'll only make this worse. You saying you'll arrest me? There will be consequences. Captain. You seem a little defensive. Well, it's been a long day. If we can't accept limitations, we're no better than bad guys. That's not the way I see it. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. I just want to make sure we consider all our options. Because people that shoot at you usually wind up shooting at me too. You know what's about to happen. Do you really want to punch your way out of this? We fight. Sorry, Tommy. You know I wouldn't do this if I had any other choice. But he's my friend. So was I. 
Welcome back. We hope that you guys enjoyed the trailer you just heard for Captain America Civil War, which is going to be the subject of episode five. And just before the break, Lee was asking me, am I Team Cap or Team Iron Man? And I'm going to just throw that question right back at you. <laughs> what? <laughs> you fucking cheat. <laughs> I, well, you know, you want me to answer the question? Go for it. Yeah, no, we, what about a 3-2-1 and then we'll say it. Okay. You have to pick a side, though. You can't say middle ground. Ah, oh, motherfucker! <laughs> Obviously, we're middle ground. Okay, um, I'll tell you right now. If I can't choose middle ground, then I'm going Team Cap. I am the same. I was Team Cap. Even though, in a realistic sense, that was probably the wrong choice to make. <laughs> Um, no, I disagree. No. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> but we'll get into that. And we could disagree why. We could talk about that a little bit later. Um, the real I politics. Wanna... <laughs> the real po- yeah, exactly. The real politics behind the movie. Sure. Uh, or, or the lack thereof. So, as you guys know, the Blu-ray is out. came out on Tuesday and over in the UK. Disney is paying us. That's the catch. Yeah, Disney <laughs> is paying us. I so wish. Um. So, yeah, I mean... Okay, so Captain America Civil War, uh, directed by the Russo brothers, starring a shitload of people. Robert Downey Jr. is back. Chris Evans is back. Scarlett Johansson is back. I don't care about Avengers Jeremy Renner. Avengers 2.5. Exactly. I, I'd actually call it Avengers 3. I don't care what people are calling it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd agree. You know, they just, like, Thor and Hulk are gone. So that's what, well, it's not really the Avengers. And you're like, oh, well, whatever. Yeah, whatever. The story has a lot more to do with following on from the events of Age of Ultron than it ever had to do with fucking Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I'll go 100% with that. Uh, I don't want to give a final verdict right off the bat, but I do want to let people know where we stand a little bit just sure. by i'll just ask you did you enjoy the movie i did uh on uh big picture reviews i actually reviewed it a b plus which is relatively positive you know yep okay so it kind of underscores the fact that you know i don't want to give a final grading i okay, i i i have done a couple of months ago i have definitively graded where i stand on this film right but i have i have obviously a lot more to talk about it um even my review at the time it went into a lot about the nature of um sequels more than it did ever the actual subject matter of the film i wanted to dis- I, I used it as a as a sort of platform to discuss expectations with regards to sequels i didn't really want to discuss captain america civil war because i didn't know how to it's not that i didn't know how to feel about it i just didn't feel about it you know well see that's the thing you're pointing out something interesting because we came uh to the same conclusion that we enjoyed the movie but there was also something underneath that we couldn't quite put our finger on yeah, there was something s- that kind of makes you say b plus <laughs> yeah, something, something something was missing or something was askew there was something that was you know kind of itching where you need yeah, you, uh, but you didn't know where to scratch yeah exactly just just one one unconnected dot was keeping you from really figuring out what was what wasn't selling you on the film all right captain america civil war uh, finds the avengers uh having to pay for all the damage they've caused throughout their time together and yeah. brings in a lot of things that happen, you know, coming from the Avengers movie, uh, things that happened in New York, uh, things that happened in Sokovia and Avengers Age of Ultron. You know, a bunch of these, like, potentially world-ending disasters where a lot of collateral damage uh, has been caused, a lot of deaths for people, innocent victims, and people are looking at that. And so, um, mm. 
the government of the United States, uh, or now they're bringing the UN into it for some reason, they're trying to implement a set of rules to kind of control the Avengers in order to, it's damage limitation in this, or damage yeah. control at this point. And once the so-called Sokovia Accords are put on the table, we have Captain America on one side who disagrees and Iron Man on the other who agrees to sign the Accords. And then conflict ensues. Now, the reason for this conflict is a bit strange because for Tony, for Iron Man, it's personal and Captain America is more ideological. I mean, like initially at the table when they're having the conversation, it comes off as personal versus ideological. Yes, yes, you're, you're, you're right. You're definitely right. At the start of the conversation, it's definitely Tony looking the more emotionally worse for wear. And I mean, Cap does get an equivalent unnecessary emotional... Uh, sort of connection thrust upon him in uh, not as you would expect with Bucky re-entering the picture but actually with um, Agent Carter dying off unnecessarily in this movie two bullshit things just come out of nowhere to affect these characters it feels like those those parts are overselling what we already know is happening with these characters so I kind of just want to wipe that slate clean, not really think about it, because Iron Man at this point, because we we know this is a sequel and we know we're following these same characters throughout these adventures, right. we already know where Iron Man is. In Iron Man 3, the guy is a paranoid wreck, right. you know, he is a jittering shadow of himself after the Avengers because he's now got this constant fear of death, uh, you know, he's, he's never recovered from it, and that already informed his decision-making in Age of Ultron, where he then just leaps to trying to make uh, a world of a uh, suit of armor around the world. He's starting to freak out and try to protect everybody all at the one time. He's starting to become ideologically emotional in the sense that he wants to... He's brought his emotions into his decision-making. And it's funny, and it's an interesting thing, because that's what he accuses Captain America of. And initially, he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right at the start. Initially, he's wrong. Captain America opposes it because he thinks it's the wrong thing to do at the time, given the facts. Uh, Captain America doesn't trust any go- sense of governance because, as we know from his character progression in Winter Soldier, he just saw the one institution he put his life on the line to protect completely inside out corrupted by yeah. Hydra, the one the one enemy he's always had. You know, so he's immediately distrustful for good logical reason. Yeah. Why not to put all his faith in other people telling him what to do. And he can't seem to get that across to Tony, who's thinking more emotionally. But as the film progresses, they both find an even footing in that they are both emotionally wrecked people. <laughs> you know, just completely un- incapable of making rational decisions or even sitting down and having a-, a conversation that really goes anywhere. And I don't know how much of that's to do with the writing. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you're bringing that up. Continue. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if it's how much to do with the writing's uh, forced conflict into the narrative, or if it's actually an interesting progression take on where these characters are and where they'll be by the end of this narrative. But that I think that emotional bedrock as a narrative, taken apart from the film, does make sense. And it's something I, I kind of keep coming back to and going, yeah, I, you know, I, I like where they go, where they start off, and I like where they end. It's just everything else that muddies that for me. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with you there. I think a lot of it, in my opinion, even if I did enjoy the movie, what I thought was wrong was essentially that it's not the characters 
arcs that are the problem. It's how the arcs are developing within Civil War that I thought got a little bit, how can I put it, muddled. Yeah, distracted. Yeah, okay, there, that's a perfect word. They got distracted because I feel that Civil War does try to tackle certain themes and issues with some form of depth. But I can only, I can't help but feel that they're only scratching the surface of the message that you're trying to send. Absolutely. I kind of am blaming the Marvel formula for that. Oh, interesting. Marvel has made a name for themselves for not taking themselves too seriously, right? Yeah. And they kind of broke that promise just a little bit with Civil War. Now, I understand I that you. we're in the middle of this, okay? This is like their Empire Strikes Back or their yeah, yeah, Temple sure. of Doom or something like that, you know? Definitely. Where, uh-huh. And I get it, okay? But the themes that they're trying to get at, I feel like they're... I feel like the Russos are saying to us, well, we've got something to talk about, but Marvel, Marvel won't let us. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a bit sad. I, I got you, I got you, definitely. And that's why when, when you're talking about like where the personal development of the characters, when you're, you find Iron Man at the end of Iron Man 3, where he's completely, like, he's become paranoid. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Even after the events of Age of Ultron, which to me was a poor movie anyway, mm. but at the same time, you understand where he's coming from. He's created a monster, right? So it was basically... You know, it's it was a retelling of the Frankenstein monster, in a sense. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, even at the end of uh, Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier, we kind of understand that there's this loyalty that Cap has towards Bucky. And, you know, sure. because Bucky used to stand up for him, like, it goes back to the, uh, the first Avenger, the, the first uh, Captain America movie. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, Bucky kind of is the only person left from the time he was supposed to be alive right yeah exactly he needs that it's it's his last connection to home especially after age of carter ties (laughs) yeah and it's it's very interesting because when we go a little bit farther and delve into the themes that they're trying to attack i really dug the political side i liked because Mm. when we were talking about it on episode two and we're talking about overhype and movies you said that Captain America Civil War did a great job on nuance. And I agreed with you that they did do a good job on nuance. But you did continue by saying, but they don't do anything with that information, right? They just kind of That's right. put, put it out <laughs> sure. there. And then after that, they're, you're under the impression, well, they're like, well, we've got all these politics. You deal with that. Yeah. And we'll, yeah, like, we'll throw in a, a, an airport scene where people are beating the shit out of each other to distract you. <laughs> yeah. So anyway... <laughs> It's no, it's uh, it's absolutely true, because uh, that's the thing. I while I say that I I feel the best part of this film is its emotional bedrock and the arc of the characters that they inevitably do tell. The political draw over the top of it mm-hmm. is what makes me actually interested in Civil War. Exactly, it's the thing that I I wanted to see, and it's the thing I wanted to see done well. Yeah. more importantly. And that's why it's the biggest problem with Civil War. Yep. It's not done well. It is done. It's done okay. In fact, it exists. It doesn't destroy the narrative, you know? We're not looking at a scenario where, you know, like I said, that emotional bedrock that sort of relies on, you know, where the characters are and their their progression as characters. It doesn't hamper it so much that we, at the end, feel cheated when they get to where they are progress-wise. It just feels like we wasted a lot of time yeah. looking at a lot of nothing when we can't 
definitively say where who not just who was right you don't have to say because they are technically real explorations of real political issues you don't have to say where you stand on these issues right but you do have to have an outcome of some kind you know you can't just bait and switch story and that's what they do yes they lead you to think that we are going to get some clash of ideologies and then they pull out of their hat a third completely irrelevant battle and this in this case it's uh tony stark's parents deaths exactly they pull this uh, this rabbit to lead you down a third path that you weren't you didn't give a shit about at all uh, you know it was made up made up for this movie it doesn't tie into anything it feels totally separate from the main narrative yep. and shows up at the last minute to let you know you know what fuck your ideolo- ideological battle it's time iron man and captain america fight about something emotional again yeah and that makes sense for their arc, and it should have been, I feel, what the film was actually based around. Forget about the politics. But the thing about the politics is that they're so much more interesting that any bait and switch in this case immediately leaves you dejected from the finale of the movie. You feel that you've been cheated from a real a real story tackling real issues, because it's not tackling anything. Exactly. It's just... It's just name-dropping issues. <laughs> that's it. And I mean, I think one of the best instances that would highlight exactly what you're saying is that when, when Black Widow and Hawkeye are fighting at the airport, okay? Yeah. Black Widow says, you know, he, Hawkeye flips her down. She slams her head on the ground or something like that. And Widow looks up at him and says, we're still friends, right? And Hawkeye responds, well, that depends on how hard you hit me. Yeah. They both get back up. Widow decides to start, she was going to kick Hawkeye it looked like he was going to get one right in the chin. But then Scarlet, <laughs> Scarlet Witch freezes Widow's foot and sends Widow, her flying yeah. into a truck or an airplane. And then Scarlet Witch turns and looks at Hawkeye and says, you were pulling your punches. Now, I feel that that sentence, you were pulling your punches, applies directly to the Russo brothers. Yeah, I feel like the Russos yeah. have something to say, but because of the Marvel formula, they're pulling their punches with Civil War. And here you're, are the few issues so right. the few issues that I feel were forced in the movie. And we were talking about the political aspects. And although they're briefly touched upon, in the end, everything becomes eclipsed by personal affairs. Yeah. Okay? You know, like we talked about the idea of the, uh, at the meeting, there's, that's where the disagreement starts. And the dialogue is rich. I like the exchanges in that one because you're, oh, definitely. you're, you're like, okay. I mean, there's one thing that's great about these uh, the writing of these films is that they know how the characters talk, yeah, and they know how to make good discourse between them. Yeah, you know, and that, that was never the issue. No, it's it's the follow through, not the delivery. Yeah, because you understand both sides of the conflict, you know. But as, as the movie progresses, Cap makes his mission about Bucky, and then later in the movie, the audience realizes that Iron Man isn't trying to right the Avengers' wrongs, but rather trying to overcompensate because he feels guilty He feels guilty about his parents' death. The way that yeah. he wasn't able to say he loved his father. And this is the weird thing, is that when you mentioned earlier that the Winter Soldier, you know, they bring in Tony's parents' death at the beginning of the movie, it, like, all of this just turns the Winter Soldier into a MacGuffin. He becomes uh-huh. a plot device that allows the Russos to tiptoe around the larger issues that they're pointing out rather than really dealing with them. He, yeah, the biggest casualty of this movie has to be the Winter Soldier. You're right entirely, he is a MacGuffin. He just shows up to, and he is ultimately what leads to that 
dumb bait and switch. You know, he's he undersells the entire uh, you know critical eye of the movie. You know, the the entire intrigue. And it seems ironic now that one of the major symbols or one of the major things that the imagery is that civil war is a lot about prisons yeah you know the idea of prisons you know you even start the movie off with bucky who's being literally taken out of his cell you know this thing where he's kept walt disney style that's oh yeah and then (laughs) you look at the end and it's bookend by the exact same image of him just going back into cryo sleep it feels like the suitcase in, in pulp fiction and it's kind of funny because these prisons you know, the, the Russos are using them very cleverly. You know, they're peppered throughout the script. When, yeah. And they're going to be physical, psychological, ideological. You know, and you're, I wanted to bring back what you were talking about in terms of Peggy. Because this is one of the few images that we, we, we have parallel imagery throughout the movie. And the first image that we get of Captain America actually going deeper inside the prison is when he gets the phone call of Peggy's death. He goes into a hallway... And the shot that the Russos do is an overhead shot. And they're shooting through bars. Through these bars that kind of look like a prison cell. And it's in a very claustrophobic place. Like kind of symbolically representing Captain Rogers' world just shrinking and shrieking. And becoming more of a prison that he can't necessarily get himself out of. And if we transpose that prison that he's slowly kind of getting himself into by trying to respect the values that he has you know have faith in himself and have faith in he could probably save bucky in the end that only comes after and if you transpose that onto the end of the movie once captain america jams his shield down into tony stark's chest plate it's kind of interesting because when tony is just spouting his speech that cap does not deserve that shield It's the same type of imagery where the Russos place the camera down and they pull back. And you see these giant beams just in the background that are symbolically representing this giant prison cell that Iron Man is in himself. And so they have become prisoners of their own ideologies, their own motivations, the same way as when we meet Zemo at the end of the movie. He's hidden in a little capsule and that's his little world now. That's his prison. Yeah. The same way as when you have Black Panther, who's a prisoner of his own want for vengeance or to avenge his father's death. And all of this just hinges on the fact that the Winter Soldier is there. And that is quite disappointing yeah. for, for me in terms of storytelling. Because if you take the Winter Soldier out of the movie... It's a house of cards mm-hmm. in terms of what yeah, motivation. I hadn't even realized the, the, the pervasive nature of the prison uh, motif, you know, like uh, you know, even with Scarlet Witch being a prisoner in her own apartment. That's another and, one. The raft. And I mean, obvi- obviously the raft. Yeah. You know, like how that, you know, basically that's an externalization of how Captain America and Iron Man have ultimately affected those around them you know it, it, it's such a great narrative trick mm-hmm. you know a, a great toy and to have it hinge to have it have its uh, resting place in the in the non-arc of bucky barnes yeah, in this film exactly you're you're entirely right it's it's a real it's just a real shame <laughs> yeah i mean and even if you look at like uh like zemo himself uh you know he's suffering from some sort of post-traumatic stress because he's actually a prisoner of the last message his wife and daughter left him on the phone yeah so that's his little world now he lives inside that little instance of his life and there's nothing else uh, on the other side and so and 
if we look at Tony, like, you know, the jail imagery that I was just telling you about those big beams, he also becomes a prisoner of his last action towards his parents, mm. right? The fact that he didn't really want to make up with his father and he now regrets it. And so you have these undertones of guilt and faith and responsibility towards people and things like that. But then the Russos are treating all these things as little prisons that we've set ourselves in. And that yeah. the heroes are in as well. But like I said, I really feel that, you know, it, it falls apart for me just because the Winter Soldier, I'll be honest, he's not the most compelling character for me personally. No, no, I, yeah, I, I get it. I, I don't think, as a character himself, he's not it. He's not given us any real reason to, you know, support him on his own right. But I think for what he does to the narrative... I think he's a great exploration, uh, an extension of uh, Steve Rogers' character, right. more so. But I, I think he can stand. He has the opportunity and the potential. That was what I was so excited about. He has the potential to expand and become more than just a, a one-note sort of sidekick and also anti-hero. You know, he he could have be. This film could have taken him somewhere weird. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just that that never happened. He just plays the same card again. <laughs> yeah. I, and yeah, and then exactly. the house falls down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of funny as well because even if they bring in Peter Parker, you know, Peter says one of the. I think I, I'll say it's it's not a confusing line, but it can be interpreted. When when sure. Tony is talking to Peter, Peter says to him, "When you do the things I can, but don't, but you don't, and then bad things happen. They happen because of you. You know this idea of like distorting this with great power comes great responsibility. Sure, right? But at the same time, there's a sort of hubris that comes with that. You know, mm. I find I don't know if it's really their responsibility. I don't know if it's really their duty because it sounds like it." has the you can there's a connotation of martyrdom in there as well yeah where you're like okay are you setting yourself up to be in your own little prison are you not happy to be helping is this something that you know i i don't think that it's i i think that there's too much seriousness in the movie itself and then when the humor comes in like with the the airport sequence and things like that yeah. it just becomes so jarring because you feel like they want to talk about all these wonderful relevant things but then they're like but they needed something for the trailer man <laughs> I, yeah it kind of feels like that you know it kind of feels like that I, I thought there were a few things that were cheap in the movie as well and we we're talking about political things now this may be me that's going a little bit too far out on the limb but sure uh, i felt that there was a little bit of a black lives matter thing going on like when sure. when okay. tony is confronted by the woman you know, the mother who's black, who has happens to have a son who's going to have a 3.6 grade average. It felt like they were highlighting the deaths of Freddie Gray, Tamir Rice, and Michael Brown. And I Jeez. thought it was a bit weird. Now, I don't know if they wrote that in the script that way. Because if it is, I feel it's a little bit like opportunism, in my opinion. Because they... And I don't know if that's what motivated the choice and uh, the lazy choice, I may add, of damaging War Machine. Oh, yeah. I thought... That's something I completely forgot about this film. Exactly. See, and that's... To me... That's... That, that screams poor choice. <laughs> you know, I thought it was odd because, to me, there's no emotional value in damaging War Machine at all. I thought it was odd, an odd choice because if you're it, going to damage someone, damage someone that's going to like have a huge impact if if the point of it was 
that this would push Tony off the, over the edge. This would have him grounded into, you know, ensuring that these accords happen. Right. And that Steve Rogers is, is dragged down with his ideals. The fact they completely disregard and undersell that with the reveal of his parents' death yeah. just totally reiterates how fucking pointless getting War Machine or anybody that severely injured mm-hmm. mattered, you know? They tried to pull this shit a couple of times in fucking uh, Age of Ultron. Right. Uh, with Hawkeye, they kind of they tried to make an arc out of the fact he kept getting near mortally wounded I mean, and then magically repairing. But they ki- they know. kill Quicksilver. No emotional value there either. No, exactly. It's just another fucking. It's another, as you were saying, Marvel formula choice. Marvel formula dictated choice. We can have no real stakes. Yeah, and it was odd because I couldn't help thinking, help but thinking while I was in the movie theater watching the movie. If I look back to Iron Man one, now Tony is using the Iron Man suit to fly against f-16s or f-18s and they say holy shit this guy just went supersonic why the fuck did he not do that to catch roadie before he hit the ground (laughs) i i was like jesus what the hell i mean this suit is designed to go super fucking fast and yet you know what did he run out of gas is there something i'm missing is it was it going to be too hard to catch him or i didn't get that i I think uh, i don't know i I, I think this is this sets up the nice uh, fun path I wanted to eventually get onto, which was nitpicking. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> uh, but I I just I just want to say one thing for anybody who's listening right now. It's not all negative. I'm just pointing out the things that I thought didn't make much sense. I enjoyed the this movie. Is... We're gonna get to that at the end. Just sit through this. There are positives. I just absolutely okay. That, that's so the 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 thing about this is uh you know this is this is coming from people who did enjoy the film and it is people who we this is what we have done on the show so far is we take a film yeah. we interpret it and the interpretations if they go negative that's because that's how it is you know it's just we're not trying to be shitting on films we did try to see the the light in suicide squad and so on you know we did actually we do actually go out of our way sometimes to you know try to find the positives and we'll get there because yeah. i want to nitpick yeah, exactly. i want to talk a lot about the things i did like about this film stupid or not <laughs> but uh i i qualify Good. that under nitpicking and fun so <laughs> nit nitpicking with uh war machine falling and i'm not getting caught you could say the uh the laser was the real pain there you know <laughs> But even then, that's the odd thing is that Tony then. All the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Tony then shoots Falcon for no fucking reason because Vision's the one. The Vision's the one who actually shot War Machine. So there's some sort of communication breakdown yeah. at this point. Cue Led oh, Zeppelin. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. If you're trying to tell a story with some serious consequences, and then you have a every good guy has a cartoon battle moment, it's. It's yeah. just not going to connect. You just know it. Looking at it, you, 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 we don't want to see Fission actually kill War Machine. You know, we definitely don't want to see fucking Iron Man kill Falcon. Jesus Christ! You know, <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's oh, it's stupid. Um, but uh, let's not get to positives yet because I have a couple of other things. But uh, let's almost get to positives. <laughs> let's cool, get no problem. Nitpicks, which are not really, you know, I'm not really going to pull it up. The interpretive uh, reasoning behind these choices, but uh, in the context of the actual movie itself, uh, there are, there's obviously a, a fun couple of things that you're just going like, why, why the fuck did this happen? My biggest right. one: the fucking raft. What the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. How? How? 
anybody was Team Iron Man after this movie blows my mind. Because even if I I can understand entirely, politically, the idea of governance over what is essentially private military groups, that's what the adventures kind of are, PMGs, I understand oversight on these sort of mini, mini, uh, you know, militias. That sort of these vigilantes. I get it. I don't think it's it's a it's a win all case. It's not a catch all idea. But I get where people come from, and I get where Iron Man should be coming from in this film. The fact that when these are his friends, he signed up to a thing that allowed any of them to be put in fucking prison. What the yeah. fuck? That makes Iron Man the biggest dick in the world. Even if he gets them out, he's how can anybody look at this guy again and go like, "Oh, you're okay. You're just doing your job." You're just like, "No, you're fucking not." You're being a batshit crazy person. <laughs> yeah, it it is kind of weird. I mean, I think comic book fans must have been happy because it, it, it I think it harkens back to during the Civil War comic book. It was Prison 42. So it was like a Rikers Island for supervillains. Sure. You know, so they used to lock a bunch of people up there. So, I mean, in the comic book world, it does make sense. But from your point, from, from the point that you're raising, I mean, as the, if we're looking at the movie itself, then yeah, yeah you're right. No, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you, uh, when it comes to comic books, you can interpret the characters. Because there are so many iterations, so many hands, so many writers, these characters have a little more wiggle room to go off the rails, I suppose. Because ultimately... They're not really defined very easily by what they were at the start of their journeys to where they are 50 years later, you know. Iron Man's not the same Iron Man. In the films, we have a very particular strict narrative when it comes to Iron Man, where he gets to logically, with regards to the emotional side of him being manipulated by the the woman who comes up to him, by the loss of Pepper Potts from his life, by the, the, you know, the loss of his parents and how that kind of builds upon itself and especially his near-death experience with the Avengers you kind of you get where he's coming from you kind of understand why he's being a dick but even then there's a step beyond that rationale when he's looking at that suit of armor that's going to protect the world it's going to be him literally incarcerating the people he trusts the most you're just excellent you're, point. You're, you're you're sabotaging the character it's you're, you're you're assassinating what he stands for captain america at least comes out of this film he doesn't really change he he's a, he's lost a lot of friends for believing in what he believes in but that's his strong point you know he's a guy who just knows when to call it knows when he's on the right side and when he's not, and sort of make those decisions on the fly, you kind of get, from his character's perspective, why he takes the maybe less politically savvy approach of believing in, you know, autonomy, you know, or, you know, that idea where you can practically make your own your mind up, given the scenarios, you know. Where Iron Man goes, it's, it's how, how they're going to make another film where Iron Man does a 180, you know, where he's just like, let's get the gang together, go beat Thanos. <laughs> just like yeah it's like yeah. hey didn't you throw me in prison <laughs> yeah there's gonna be trust issues that's for sure <laughs> yeah fuck man but I, I I think that's part of the arc I think that's that's part of the arc is that this is Tony's low point and then after that uh, by the time like Robert Danny Jr. can't make these movies until he's 60 no. obviously so the the only way I can see this happening is that his redemption is going to be in death Has at one be. point and so I can see it kind of leading up to there. I, I, from what I, for what I can gather, either Falcon or uh, the Winter Soldier might actually be picking up the Captain America mantle, which is something that's taken from the comic book. So yeah. that'll be interesting to explore to see 
how, you know, I don't know, maybe Iron Man eventually brings Captain America back and then, you know, and it would harken back to the, the line, you know, he's my friend and like, so was I. And then because Bucky dies at one point and, you know, Iron Man decides to sacrifice himself to save Cap and you'll have the ultimate friendship, yeah. you know, and uh, I can see it, it feels happening. like they're going kind of that. It feels like yeah. they're going towards it feels that. feels like this is a good middle point to build some yeah. real catharsis. Uh, yes, and I, I am on board with that. I understand what you were saying earlier about the Emperor Empire Strikes Back film. Yeah. it's true. We are at the crossroads here. All right, so let's let's put all our nitpicks aside now. Yeah. All right, let's and little, let's get into a little bit of, bit of the positive. Yeah, yeah. so um, the performances, the characters. Can you see anybody else playing Sweet these people? God, no, uh, no. Not at all. Pitch perfect. Yeah. Every single yeah. one of them. Even the characters who only have small parts in this film, like Black Panther and uh, uh, Baron Simo, I thought were just incredible. You know, like I just, I wanted to get to know these characters. I wanted to see them all be somewhere. And when it yeah. comes to the Avengers, the rapports they've built amongst each other and the way they just don't feel like the people playing them. They feel like the characters, you know? And if you were to pick out a standout, who would it be in Civil oh, War? Uh, if we're talking about actual performances, I think Robert Downey Jr. stole the show. I, I, I think... Oh, wow. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I mean, like, I was 10 for 10 supporting Cap on this film. Uh, I don't think there's another way that character could be done any better. But there was such pain in Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, such absolute strife in his expression and his feeling and every motivation that underscored well beyond what the material was given to him. He was really giving it his all. He really, you could tell he felt exactly what the character was supposed to feel in that moment. And so would you consider that Robert Downey Jr. is a great actor or would you consider that Tony Stark is a great actor? I'll, 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 I'll explain. Throughout, throughout the entire movie, Robert Downey Jr., most of the time, if you look at all the Iron Man movies, if you look at the first Avengers movies, he's got quite the mouth on him. Sure. And in this movie, he seems to be more reserved. Whenever he speaks, like you said, you know, you said that he, he harbors this, this emotion, this this we'll call it tragedy to a certain extent sure and whenever he speaks there is a certain amount of gravitas in what he has to say because you're like okay shit this guy's trying to make a point however that one little part where i'm a little bit like okay what the hell is going on is when he meets i knew you were going to bring that up i don't know why though just because it's but a I... different film <laughs> Didn't it feel like a different movie? Yeah. It, didn't it feel like a yeah, bit of a did. reshoot? It felt like the the pre the you know the prelude to the Spider Man film, which it was, <laughs> and it makes for a great you know prelude to the Spider Man film. But you're right. It, I don't fault his performance in that because that was a different film. I you know it it, it, it happens totally removed from everything in the film. Mm -hmm. Spider Man is a guy who just kind of fucking shows up because Tony Stark said I need an extra fighter. And we yeah. we then play like a, a, a you know a, a side credit you know a fucking alternate story route in a Street Fighter game or something we can, you know where we we, we yeah. learn a little of the background of where Spider Man comes into the story. Uh, so I don't fault that as the performance. I I, I feel that's bad direction, bad storytelling. Uh, maybe necessary when it comes to the bigger picture. It has to happen somewhere, right? right? Uh, mm -hmm. But. Did it have to happen in this film? No. Uh, did it have to be as stilted as it was? I really enjoyed the scene. But There you go. That's what, exactly what I wanted you to say. No matter how much it doesn't fit in the movie itself, yeah. it is a goddamn yeah, great absolutely. scene. absolutely. I mean, again, I, 
that's the Tony Stark I love, you know. I love spending time uh-huh. with that guy. Uh, that guy is not the same guy as the guy who's in the rest of the film. But, nope. you know, he is, that's the two sides of the character. The, you know, the, the one with levity and the one that lacks that levity. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Which brings us to the plain scene from Superman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, wrong movie. The airport scene in Captain America Civil oh, War. Oh, yay. <laughs> All, uh, all interpretation aside, all yeah. narrative, well-doing, all filmmaking prowess fades away to what is what is one of the greatest completely detached filmmaking choices of all time. The oh, wonderful, yeah. wonderful, stupid, kind of terrible, wonderful airport scene. <laughs> it's a great oh, short film. Absolutely. I, I'd, I'd pay to see it itself, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. You know they tried their best to work that into the narrative, and, and fair fucking shot to them. You know they did. They really, oh, yeah. really tried to make that make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. But Jesus Christ, as fun as it is, you said it best. It doesn't. You could cut that out of the movie, and it wouldn't have changed. It would actually probably empower some of the outcome. <laughs> yeah, it does. It kind of bogs it down because I, I remember I was with Leslie in the movie theater, and as much as like she, she didn't particularly enjoy the movie because, yeah. first of all, you can't take this as a standalone film because Christ, my girlfriend was there like tapping on my shoulders like, yeah, who's this oh, person? Yeah, it's, who's it's, that person? It's well entrenched yeah. in Marvel backfought now. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, I can't, I didn't have the time to sit her down and like push her through all the yeah, Marvel movies. Of course and not. plus I want, I want, I, I cherish my life and I'm probably sure that would have ended in murder. <laughs> you know, although she did enjoy Iron Man, but that's it. You know, I, I remember her sitting through this and going like, like, first of all, she says the tone is off. And I don't understand. She says, as much fun as that was, what the hell was the point of it? And I was yeah. like, yeah, you're right. What is the point of that? You know, and that's why I brought up Superman Returns, the plane scene. It's a, it's a great scene, but it's more of a distraction. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's the one scene to the wonder of Superman. <laughs> exactly, but it's the one scene people will keep coming back to rather than discuss the shortcomings oh, of the movie. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it's kind of a fun thing because you have that in Superman Returns. You have that, well, well, I'm going to bring this in and you guys can hate me if you want. Saving Private Ryan, the beginning of the movie, that's anything that's all people talk about. They don't talk about the rest of the movie. They talk oh, about yeah. Normandy Beach. And then you'll have now the airport scene. I understand that I'm crisscrossing two superhero movies with an, <laughs> a really hardcore I historical. Think, I, I think there's a lot of you know validity to that point, though. I'm not comparing. But that's it. I'm just I'm just comparing in terms of what people the set people set pieces people will remember yeah. what they'll take of this. It's like, oh hey, did you watch Captain America: Civil War? Yeah, I did. Man, was that airport sequence ever good? And you're like, yeah, cool. What else? Uh, that's the response you're oh, gonna get. Wasn't it super fun? I mean, it was so fun. It was so. Fun. I love Spider-Man. I love Ant-Man. Yeah, I yeah, loved absolutely. seeing these people actually, you know, throw themselves at each other with all their crazy, stupid powers. The visual sight of having like Vision fighting or uh, Vision fighting uh, Giant Man. You know, like I just it, it was everything I had ever wanted in a superhero fight. It was just like I wanted to be looking at something that really shocks me and how cartoon comic book it can be just yes giving full commitment full intention to stupid cool looking imagery (laughs) (laughs) i was right down for that if i'm if i'm honest that is the most comic book 
I've seen a comic book movie be. Yeah. And that I have to take my hat off to them for that because when I was watching that sequence, I was like, wow, this is something I would have loved to see when I was in my teens. And I finally got to see it Yeah, yeah. 20 years yeah, later. Yeah. And just like watching that going like, this is everything I've ever imagined a comic book movie would exactly. be. And like kudos to the, to, the, to the Russo brothers for making that scene, although it doesn't fit in the movie. It's a great scene on its own. It's yeah, wonderful. And absolutely. Spider-Man was great. I loved, uh, you know, the, the, just like you said, Jai Ant-Man uh, was there's, really... There's, there's, there's this beautiful fucking uh, moment where Winter Soldier and Spider-Man are fighting each other. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got a metal <laughs> arm, dude? Yeah. But the fact, it's it's Winter Soldier's reaction when he grabs his full metal arm and just holds yeah. it in air with his just regular spider hand. And he's just, yeah. Winter Soldier's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you exactly. And you're just like, oh my god, that is so perfect. I love these characters. I love seeing them interact. I, and that was them at their best, you know. Yeah, and so uh, we were talking about standout performances before I just get back yeah, to Yeah, so never got to hear yours. Uh, well, um, I, I have to go with Chris Evans again. Yeah, understandable. Uh, it's really... He's the, close, I, he's the close second. He's incredible. Yeah, he's. I, I can't not see him as Captain America. It's fantastic. If ever they have to replace him, I'm like, well, you know what? Fuck that. I'm just going to yeah, stop watching. Yeah, pretty much, you know. <laughs> you know? And, I mean, just the opening sequence, I... Um, I was a little bit afraid that they were going to go down the shaky cam route, but they corrected that fast. However, the scene with Crossbones, once Scarlet Witch shoots Captain America inside the building, and he's actually taking down guys with his yeah. shield. Christ, there's a sequence where he bounces his shield off the floor, bounces off two walls, and hits a guy in the neck. <laughs> I was like, I was in the movie theater going like, yeah, he just did that, and that was fucking cool. Uh, it, it is, but he really captures, he really continues what has been a series of excellent performances for Captain America. Yeah. I mean, I feel like some of his action was better handled in Winter Soldier. I think that they we saw yeah, that's pretty much the exact thing we wanted to see from Captain America solo action. But yeah. his place in the Avengers is always different. Uh, his interactions with them always varied. Uh, and it's just wonderful to see how Chris Evans navigates that as the character who, on paper... He just, it must have been the hardest sell of all the characters. He just, yes. he sounded like the most straightforward, the most lacking of actual personality. You know, mm -hmm. he, he, he was built in a time as a character, as a, as a jingoistic response for wartime. You know, like he is, he was a necess necessity, not a character. To see right. how they've interpreted that to envelop so much of both a actual human beings physical and uh, mental turmoil with being an out of place man to see him yep. embody that and also embody what is a lot of the heavier tones of these movies it is right. a balancing act you know that you just do not get from films in general you know not just superhero films just films so they struggle to define these balances and through his portrayal even if he's let down by the material at times chris evans right. is captain america just has never faltered. He's the modern everyman, you know. He's not the everyman he was touted to be, where he's the every all-American patriot man, you know. He's right. the everyman we should be to protect our country, etc. He is, you know, he's the everyman now in that he embodies something human, you know, something we can all understand. Even if we don't believe a lot of the stuff he believes, even if we think he makes the wrong choices, we understand how he gets to those choices. Right. And that's more important 
than whether we side with him or not. That's a that's a wonderful like summary and interpretation of what this guy has actually brought to the role. I hadn't seen it, and you've put it so wonderfully in, into perspective that you're like, wow, Jesus Christ. I agree, and uh, I have to also kind of just like just shift a little bit and talk about Black Panther. I I love Chadwick Boseman. He was fantastic. Oh yeah. Just, for like Jesus four Christ. scenes, four scenes of some of the yeah. greatest bit character performances I've ever witnessed. <laughs> I just sold on that Jesus character Christ. so hard. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like he just walks into the scene, starts talking to Scarlett Johansson. You're like, all right, I'm sold. Well, yeah. Uh, so oh, after yeah. his first sentence, you're like, fucking Christ, how the hell did you nail that so perfectly? <laughs> yeah. <bro. laughs> and I guess, you know, I, I do want to kind of mention Daniel Brühl because I liked Zemo in this movie. Yeah, give us, He's give us given little, so give little, little to Brule. do. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked I liked. I liked Zemo. I liked his character. I understood mm-hmm. his motivation, and it, it's it's no different than uh, than um, Black Panther's motivation. Everything is again revolving around the Winter Soldier. <laughs> Zemo is trying to use the Winter Soldier to his own end, and uh, he's framed and whatnot. And then it brings the Black Panther in. Then it divides Tony and um, you know. So you understand that like Zemo's plan is kind of overcomplicated, and it does rely on convenience a uh, fuck ton, but. <laughs> I don't want to get into that too much, but trust me, you guys, you know what I'm talking about. But I I like the character. I won't flat out call him a villain just because he ends up killing people. I think that he's possibly not that one note of a character. I understand his motivation. He's a victim, you know. It's just it's just in the same way Black Panther is a victim, you know. We support him. Well, that's and the parallel. That yeah, exactly, draw. and it's great. And their arcs both end together as well in the movie. You know, it's it's yeah. great parallel. They they bridge those together. The narrative doesn't go far enough to really give us something to really take away from that parallel, but it does set it up in an interesting way. And it's 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 a great look at Zemo. It's 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 a great yeah. look at the less at revenge in this world. You know, right. All right, so we're going to have to start winding down in terms of final verdicts. Uh, I want to start with you. You said that you had given it a B plus. Uh, Is there anything uh, to end? Like, let's say on a a positive note, would you recommend Captain America Civil War? I, I feel that Captain America Civil War is an important movie. And it's an important okay. movie for this time, no matter its quality, that we have to see as as a society. It's it happens to be good at parts, it happens to be bad in parts, but as far as filmmaking and as far as social culture is concerned, how we've ended to this point, people are gonna be looking back at this film among many others, and in comparison as well, even if it's not as good in any regard, Batman v Superman, they are both important films of this year that have to be seen for anyone interested in interpretation and filmmaking and storytelling in even cultural decisions. People are gonna be looking back on these films with a very, very skeptical eye about where we yeah. were in 2016 and how okay. we got there. And that, for that reason alone, I would recommend Captain America. But also as a fun Adventures 3, it's got its moments. <laughs> Good. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up the comparison. I wanted to make a point that we, 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 we didn't want to compare because everyone had made the comparison between these two movies, DC and Marvel. There's just too much comparing going on. And mm-hmm. we did a good job at not bringing in those things. And I understand what you mean. I'm glad you put it's it. It's not a comparison I'm trying to bring exactly. here. Exactly. Yes. You know? I think 
I also think that they're equally important because they are going to be heavy comments on the society we live in now. And even if it's 10 years or 20 years from now, these two movies will stand as monuments as to where we were and where we were heading, where we were coming from. And do I put them on equal footing? I'm not even going to start deliberating on that. I have nothing to say on that matter. They it's are not, separate it's not a movies in my book, and I am not comparing yeah. exactly. I do not compare those movies at all. I take them as standalones, whatever. And so you said you gave it a B plus. I kind of am somewhat along the lines of you. I give it a four on five. I think that it's a movie that's very entertaining. I think that it has very noticeable blemishes, mm-hmm. but it is a well crafted film. And I have to say that the Russo brothers know what the hell they're doing. It is really interesting. The script, in my opinion, it wasn't all over the place, but they did bite off a little bit more than they could chew. They tried to kind of dip their toe into these, these themes that they didn't necessarily yeah, kind of whether they, they couldn't make them pay off or where they weren't allowed to make them pay off. Either way... It's, yeah, the, film, it, the film stands as the film it is, and ultimately yeah. there's a lack. There is, there is, and that's why it's a four on five for me. A must-see movie of 2016. With all the nitpicks we did go through, I can't say that this is a bad movie. This is a very, no. very, very good movie with few shortcomings, a couple of weird decisions, and it's uneven in terms of tone. But I cannot say that this is a bad movie. This is a really, really well-crafted movie. And I, I recommended it. 100%. Excellent. And so, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add on Captain America Civil War? Sir? I am excited for Doctor Strange. There's, there's more of 2016 to see. So let's have fun. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, so that's it for episode five of the Atlantic Screen Connection. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please leave comments. We're, we're looking forward to interacting with you guys. Let us know if you guys were Team Cap or yeah. Team Iron Man. I'm Jason Michael at film underscore faculty on Twitter, and I run the Film Faculty website. We've got new writers now with David Hart at PC, uh, Pop Culture Case Study, and we also have Ashley Davis uh, from the uh, Best Friends Forever show on YouTube. Be sure to give them a shout-out. And I'll leave Lee plugging his stuff yep, as yep. well. You can get me at, at Big Pick Reviews on twitter uh we're doing pretty well there and i'm pretty active on it so if you send me any messages i will say hi and also if you can check out bigpicturereviews.co.uk uh there's uh, at least four five of us from reviews at the wall <laughs> for most of the recent stuff so um check that out you'll, you'll see more of this in this highly interpretive crap that we're going through <laughs> excellent that's it for us for this week. We hope you guys enjoyed this. Let us know in the comment section. Please comment on the tracks on SoundCloud. I love the fact that people are starting to interact with the tracks, leaving comments on Super the tracks. Fun. I love that. Let us know if you disagree at certain points during this review, and we're going to see you next week. We have no idea what we're going to be talking about, but we'll get back to you soon. <laughs> Take care, ladies and gentlemen. Have a, have good, a good night. Bye. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.